Welcome to the Pine Ridge House Sermon Podcast. We are a church located in Calgary, Alberta, and the Bible is our standard for all faith and practice. You are listening to our ongoing study of Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and we'll be looking at uh, chapter 40. So these are the parting words, um, initially, as we're looking at... um, in John 16, parting words of Jesus to his followers, and he says that in this world, there will be suffering. There's no way we can get around hardship and suffering. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. There's no way around it. For some of us, we're in the midst of physical pain. Others are in emotional pain. Um, Emotional pain tends to be more what happens to us when we're younger in life as we are trying to navigate through Uh, countless different relationships. And as we navigate through them, inevitably, we're going to be hurt by other people. So we have to navigate through that suffering and that hardship. Once you get older, um, the the, the pain shifts more to physical pain as you're trying to navigate through the the physical uh, ailments of your body as it's decaying. But either way, whether you're young or old, uh, we're all going through some form of suffering at some point. You may not be this morning, But suffering is a part of what life is. The story of Joseph, especially in his younger years, was really a story of a godly man who went through uh, a lot of suffering. Those of you who've been with me as we've been going through the book of Genesis, you'll remember that Joseph had been kidnapped by his brothers. Then he had been sold into slavery. While he was in slavery, things got a little bit better, and he was given a little responsibility there. But When he refused to commit adultery with his owner's wife, it resulted in her falsely accusing him of attempted rape and getting him thrown into prison. When we pick up the story here in chapter 40, Joseph now gets a few uh, prison mates to join him there. And I'd like to read that section, Um, just the first few verses there in chapter 40, Genesis chapter 40, uh, verses 1 through to 4. It came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was in prison. So Joseph is in prison now because he refused to commit adultery. He is falsely accused. He's now in prison. And these two guys join him. Verse 4. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Joseph gets some new cellmates, and it says here that these new cellmates were in confinement with him for a period of time, some period of time. Later on, when the cupbearer, when he gets released, it says two years later after that, Joseph is finally considered as an option to be released out of prison. In other words, Joseph was in prison for a long period of time. But while he's in prison, the Bible says that the Lord was with him. So even though he was in prison, the Bible would say that the Lord is with him. Look back just a few verses in chapter 39 and verse 21. It says, The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. The Lord's with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Now, if we're reading a biblical story and a godly story, you would expect that if somebody's been accused falsely and they're in prison, and then you read the phrase, but God showed kindness to him. The next thing you're expecting is that he'd be released out of prison. But that's not what it says in verse 39. The Lord was with Joseph, extended kindness to him, and gave him favor in sight of the chief jailer. 
He didn't get rescued out of prison. He gets favor while he's still in prison. He doesn't get rescued out of prison. God's extension of kindness to Joseph got him favor with the jailer, but it didn't get him out of prison. But then there's this opening. This opening comes for Joseph, where his two cellmates, they have these dreams. And Joseph, by the hand of God, is able to interpret these dreams, and so it presents an opportunity where maybe, just maybe, he might get out of prison. We pick it up there in verse 5 of chapter 40. I'm going to read a longer section here. Chapter 40, verse 5 of Genesis. Then the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials, who were with them in the confinement in his master's house, Why your face is so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there is a vine in front of me, and on the vine there are three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Joseph's cup was in my hand, or sorry, now Pharaoh's, cups was, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. And then Joseph says this, Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews And even here, I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. In the story, the chief cupbearer, he has this dream. He's in prison with Joseph, and he has this dream. And he he tells this dream to Joseph because Joseph sees something's wrong with him. After he interprets the dream, the notion that Joseph says to him, he says, well, can you show me some kind of kindness? Show me some kindness when you get released, because this is going to happen. The interpretation of the dream, this is going to happen. So can you show me kindness when you uh, get released? Unfortunately, verse 23 of the same chapter says this, The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. After he was released, he forgot all about Joseph. And so Joseph is now left to rot in prison. Chapter 39 says that God was with Joseph and extended kindness to him, and yet years later, Joseph is still in prison. And as we talked about last week, God being with Joseph did not mean that his circumstances on this earth got better. God being with Joseph did not mean that his circumstances were now perfectly fine and he has some kind of heaven on earth. Now, Joseph would eventually get out of prison. Joseph would eventually get out of prison but not until the age of 30. He was sold into slavery at the age of 17. He goes through all of this hardship. 13 years later, that's when he finally gets out of prison. But even then, after he gets out of prison, it's not complete freedom because he was kept by Pharaoh to oversee his his kingdom. So how are we supposed to understand God being with Joseph or God being with us 
We're in the midst, when we are in the midst of some kind of suffering, how are we supposed to understand that? Suffering in life has caused many to conclude that God simply does not exist. There's too much suffering in this world. There's too much suffering in my life. So God must not exist at all. A pastor friend of mine came to this conclusion. He was a pastor for 25 years. He read his Bible. He prayed. He counseled, led churches. And yet four years ago, he left Christianity and promised he would never, ever return. In the article he wrote about this, he cites four reasons why he left God, and two of them stuck out to me. Because they had to do with disappointment in a God who let people and himself suffer. As a pastor, he described his life as being attacked, antagonized, publicly shamed, blamed, sabotaged, and thrown under the bus, etc., etc. In addition, he had a lifelong, uh, a lifelong missionary friend who, quote, was rewarded for her retirement with stomach cancer and died a couple of years later. His own suffering and the suffering of those around him got him to conclude this in a summary statement. He says this, What I can't handle anymore is bad things happening when God himself said that bad things wouldn't happen. I'm going to say that again. What I can't handle anymore is bad things happening when God himself said that he would not let bad things happen. He's misunderstanding God here because God has never said such a thing. If God did say such a thing, if God were to say, don't worry, if you're a follower of mine, you will not go through pain and suffering, then Joseph would have a very strong case to reject God. Put into slavery, kidnapped by his brothers, put into slavery, wrongfully accused, thrown in prison, and here in our main text, he's forgotten and left to rot. But God didn't promise his followers that everything's going to be fine in terms of your circumstances on this earth. He never promised this. In our opening verse that I read to you, Jesus told his followers that in this world, there will be suffering. But take courage because Jesus has overcome the world. But it's difficult. How does a person maintain a relationship with God in times of hardship? How do you do this? If you're taking notes, Psalm chapter 46 and verses 1 through to 3 says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Not a removal of the trouble, of the trouble, but a help in the midst of that trouble. So how is he our help? He is our help because we rely on his strength in the midst of hardship and difficulty. That's when we turn to him. And as Jesus said in John 16, the opening verse, we can have peace with God even in the midst of hardship. It's understanding that God does not remove our bad circumstances, but is with us in the midst of us. He'll never leave us. Now, Joseph, later on, in chapter 50, he'll allude to this. He becomes second in command. Later on, he does get released from prison, and he becomes second in command over all of Egypt. Then, after 20 years that he hadn't seen his brothers, he hasn't seen his brothers now for 20 years, who sold him into slavery, he finally meets back up with them, and he says this to them. As he's reflecting on the suffering... From his brothers, he says this to them, very profound words. He said, you meant it for evil. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph was calling it straight. He said, when you guys kidnapped me and sold me into slavery, you did mean it for evil. You meant it for evil. But God can redeem such situations. 
and his brothers were operating under the freedom that God gives to every human being. They were operating on the freedom that God gives to every human being on this planet. You see, God does not restrict people's freedom. He doesn't restrict their freedom when they're doing evil. And sometimes we're the target of other people's evil, as Joseph was here. If God did restrict evil, if he could stop it, if he could restrict evil, then there would be no such thing as freedom and therefore no such thing as love because you can't choose anything bad. Love cannot exist if there's not another option. If love is the only decision, then there is no decision. Love is no longer a choice then because there are no other options and therefore love becomes meaningless because it's not a choice. And so God does allow freedom. And sometimes when he allows freedom, we experience the love of others towards us. But other times when he allows that freedom, evil choices hit us personally. And most of us know the story of Job. In Job's life, the freedom where other people chose evil hit him personally, and he lost all of his children to murder. You remember it hit John the Baptist, the evil of other people. It hit John the Baptist. The Bible talks about John the Baptist from Jesus' own words as being the most godly man to ever be born, and yet he was beheaded as a party favor to a bitter woman. And, of course, the evil choices of others hit Jesus Christ himself. When he suffered a violent murder for crimes he was innocent of. So where is God in the midst of hardship? Where is God in the midst of suffering? The Bible promises us that he is right there with you. He's a very present help in times of trouble. You see, the promises of God are such that he will never leave us. He's never going to leave us. But his promises are not that he will overtake human beings and turn them into his robotic agents of love. God does not do that. And Joseph was dealt some harsh blows at the hands of very selfish people. Again, sold into slavery, accused falsely of rape, thrown into prison, and left to rot there. Where was God in the midst of all of this? Well, as we read in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 39, verse 20, 20, 21, the hand of God was with him. God was with him. And just as a father, just as a dad, when we can't prevent the harm of the hands of wicked kids, so too as God our Father and us his children, he will not overtake the freedom of other people when they act wickedly. But he has promised that he will always be with us, as he was with Joseph here. <clears throat> so that's what God does. That's what he does when we're in the midst of suffering. He is there with us. So what do his people do when we're in the midst of suffering? What do godly people when we're in the midst of that suffering? I think here Joseph becomes a model for us. We pick it up here in chapter 40 and verses 6 and 7. When Joseph came to them in the morning to the, his new cellmates and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in the confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Why are your faces so sad today? Now remember, Joseph is in the midst of unjust, an unjust prison, prison sentence. And yet his character was untouched and that he continued to look at other people and to be concerned for their interests. And in his concern for their interests, he can also point to God. And so Joseph approaches the prisoners and he notices that something's wrong. 
He was observing the prisoners who he wasn't put in charge of, notices they're dejected, and then he shows concern for them. He shows concern for them and asks them what's wrong. Now, Joseph could have easily caved in on himself and become self-focused. He could have easily become the kind of person who says, Woe is me. I'm in this prison, and I should not be here. I've been in here for a number of years, and I can't stand it. But instead of being in a woe is me, uh, caved in on himself, he's looking for ways to show concern and compassion for other people. And through this concern, these men led Joseph into their world. Because whenever we're concerned for somebody else, whenever we can show compassion for somebody else, they let us into their world. And when they're led into, the, into his world, they then explain to him, this is the reason why we're sad. It's a great model for us as Christians, where we are to look out for places where we can show concern and compassion for those around us, regardless of what you're going through. Observing others in their context and showing concern for their hardship especially. Once Joseph was welcomed into their world, he uses it as an opportunity to talk and to point to God. He says, don't interpretations belong to God. Almost automatically, Joseph bears witness of his faith in God to these two guys. And Joseph then earns credibility in the eyes of these guys and use that credibility to introduce God into their world. We would do well to take our cues from Joseph here. He's a great model for us. Years ago, there was a church in Cincinnati, Ohio, that took a form of sharing God in this kind of a way. The pastor then wrote a book on it, and it was called Conspiracy of Kindness. And the church, what it did is it took on the simple task of showing acts of kindness to other people, to show concern for their lives, and as a result, they were often given opportunity to talk about Jesus. But that doesn't come if you're just the average person and you bump shoulders with them. It's when you show concern for them. It's when you show them acts of kindness. You get invited into their world because they see that you are genuinely concerned for them. And once you're in that world, you can point to God and you can say, it's not just about good humanity. It's about what God's done in my life. And so you can tactfully bring God into the context. This is what Joseph is doing here. But although Joseph showed kindness in helping out this cupbearer, as we read in the text, he was quickly forgotten. He was quickly forgotten. Even though this guy is now let out of prison, etc., etc., he was quickly forgotten. You can imagine, though, when the, when the cupbearer, when he first hears the interpretation, he's in prison, and he first hears the, the interpretation, in three days you're going to be released. You're going to be back out into freedom. You can imagine the elation of the cupbearer when he hears this. He's going to get his job back. And so he went from being dejected and sad to probably being quite elated after he heard Joseph's interpretation. And Joseph, in response, he says, I just ask one thing, just one thing. Would you be kind enough to mention me to Pharaoh? Would you be kind enough to mention me to Pharaoh once you're out of prison? I'd certainly appreciate that. And he's forgotten, but only at first. Years later, his kindness does end up paying off. Look there at chapter 41 and uh, verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh. So he's already back in his job and he's serving Pharaoh as a chief cupbearer. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh, you were furious with his servants. 
And he put me in confinement in his house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was there with us, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and he related to them, he related them to him. And he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, but hanged the other man. Then Joseph sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. When they had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it is said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph's previous kindness to the cupbearer did end up paying off. It did end up paying off. It causes him to be remembered for what he did. And at that juncture point, he's now welcomed into Pharaoh's context. He's now welcomed into Pharaoh's context. Joseph's welcome into Pharaoh's world again gives him opportunity now to point to God. And that's exactly what he did. You see, Joseph not only lived for God in character, he had desire to tell other people about him. He couldn't stop talking about him. It's the same desire that the Apostle Paul had for those taking notes. There's a great place in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 to 22. And the Apostle Paul says, I've, I've become all things to all people because I want to tell them about Jesus Christ. I want them to know what it is to be connected to the family of God. And so to the Jewish people, I became more like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became more like a Gentile. To the people who didn't have the law, I became more like the people who didn't have the law. To those who did have the law, I became like those who did have the law. He says, I've become all things to all people because I want to tell them about Jesus Christ. And here what Joseph is doing, he's entering into their world. And Joseph gets welcomed into Pharaoh's context and he serves him very well. As a result, he ends up in second command over all of Egypt. When we enter the world of other people and show them kindness and concern, They'll welcome us. Most of them will. But we can't get to that place if we are self-consumed about the suffering we're in. <clears throat> we can't get to that place if we're all about the hardship we, and we're caving in on ourselves. Being a regular, unselfish Christian means that those who are living around us, the people living around us, their lives will be better. Living a regular, unselfish Christian life means that the people around us, their lives will be better. Why? Because we're not just thinking about ourselves. We're not just thinking about, um, what am I going to get out of it? How am I going to look? We're not just caved in on ourselves thinking about the suffering or hardship we're going through. We continuously are thinking about other people and concern and showing compassion for them and an interest in their lives. And when we do such a thing, it's welcomed by them. And quite often, we are brought into their world, into their context, at which point we can tell them about Jesus and who he is. <clears throat> By being a Christian, you make the lives of people better around you. You make their lives better. There are um, numerous more things we could talk about in this text, and I, I had a big section that I was going to read to begin with, but um, I want to give us time to have a dialogue together. And so um, I'm going to put up, for those of you who are new, um, 
when we're finished, we, we like to have a dialogue, and so I put some lessons up on the, on the side here. And so hopefully um, uh, you can have some takeaways from this, <clears throat> and um, as a result, uh, you'll know ways in which you can implement this into your life. But I hope it also is a conversation starter, that um, we can have a conversation as we're trying to process this together as a community of believers. So first of all, um, God never promised he would prevent the choices of others when they use their freedom to inflict harm on his followers. But he did promise to be with them in the midst of the suffering. He never promised that he's going to, don't worry. If there's evil people out there and they're close to your life, don't worry, I can ju- I'll just remove them. Or I'll turn them into robotic agents of love. Don't worry, I can do that. I can do this all the time. That's not what he does. The reason why God doesn't do this is because he values love. In order to value love, you've got to value freedom. The problem is is that sometimes people use that freedom to harm others. And so when we're trying to figure out where's God in the midst of it, God has allowed freedom to exist in this world because he wants love to exist. Unfortunately, sometimes people use that freedom to hurt us. And God doesn't come in, in such times and turn them into robotic agents of love. That's not what he does. But God does promise that he will be with you. He's never going to leave you. He'll always be with you. And so we rely on his strength. And I put some verses in there that you can have a look at later. Uh, Secondly, observing another person's context and looking for needs within that context can open a door to enter their world and give testimony to God. You can't get to that place if you're self-consumed. You can't get to that place if you're in the midst of some kind of hardship and suffering and you're caved in on yourself because you're not looking to other people. And Joseph, in the midst of prison, he was still looking and still concerned with compassion for the lives of people around him. And so when you observe another person's context and how they're doing, and you look for needs within that context, it can open up a door to enter into their world. And once you enter into their world, you can give testimony to God. Because of all the things that are important in this world, the most important thing is knowing who God is and being in a relationship with Him. And so, yeah, we do look for opportunities to tell others about God. And when we show compassion and concern for other people, it often opens this door. And we would do well to take our cues from Joseph in this regard. And then finally, this is a tough one. Showing acts of kindness does not mean you'll receive kindness back. That's tough. That's tough. I didn't put it on here, but in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said that secular people, they can love other people. They can love other people, provided they get some kind of love back. They can show kindness. They can show concern. They can even show compassion. But they're waiting for it to come back. And if it doesn't come back, there's going to be some kind of internal retaliation or some kind of external retaliation where they distance themselves from that person. It's normal. It's human. And we all struggle with it. But showing acts of kindness does not mean you'll receive it back. But Jesus says this, I want you to be kind to your enemies. I want you to be kind to the people who don't like you. And that's tough to do. That's really hard to do. Especially when you get nothing back in return. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more information on our church or this recording, please contact us at www.pineridgehouse.com.